Hello and welcome to 250, your weekly podcast looking at IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. This week, a bit of a break from our usual format, where we're talking about something that maybe is or maybe isn't a movie. Twin Peaks The Return, written by Mark Frost and David Lynch, directed by David Lynch, uh, released over the course of uh, 16 weeks in 2017, and frequently debated as whether or not it's a film or a TV show. Uh, it was named by Cahier du Cinema as their second favorite film of 2017. The uh, British Film Institute and Sight and Sound poll ranked it as the second favorite screen thing of the year in question. Lynch himself on interviews has described it as an 18-hour movie. Um, so what we're going to do is we're hopefully going to break down, we're going to dive into that, and in proper 250 fashion, the discussion of the film in question is going to take exactly as long as the film itself. And now, we did this uh, live on air, so the recording quality may not be up to our usual standards, or may even be slightly better, uh, but also just that we, we did it as a fundraiser for the Irish Cancer Society, which hosts the annual Daffodil Day, uh, to raise money and awareness for the fight against cancer in Ireland. Uh, we would ask that if listeners do enjoy the podcast, or even if they think the podcast is really stupid, but you know, it's a good idea to support this charity endeavor, that you donate as well. You can donate directly to the Irish Cancer Society. You can also give via our website, justgiving.ie the 250 live we won't hold you too long because there's 18 more hours of this podcast to listen to we might possibly look at releasing 18 individual episodes of this so you can listen to it at your leisure don't worry we look forward to the twitter debates over whether or not this is a single 18 hour podcast or 18 one hour podcast so uh feel free to hit us up and let us know what you think about that uh, but anyway we're going to dive right on in uh, with our opening hour in which the wonderful richard drum the film editor of head stuff and also the co-host of quantum of friendship and niall glynn join myself and andrew to discuss nostalgia as it relates to Twin Peaks The Return and probably a host of other stuff as well. We do hope you enjoy and remember this is all for a good cause. Thank you very much. And so when I asked uh, people whether they want to take part, a lot of enthusiasm there and a lot of people were very clear immediately what they wanted to talk about and Richard uh, kind of came back very very quickly if I recall and wanted to talk specifically <laughs> about the ending. Hmm. Well I mean it's the most memorable thing in my head still that final screaming shot sticks in my brain quite firmly so why not start? as you said yourself in response to me it's very lynching to start at the ending <laughs> to, to start to open an 18 hour podcast uh with a possible ending but yeah so like do you want to talk about this just in terms of nostalgia because like twin peaks was this massive cultural phenomenon in the 90s everybody was watching it and not just everybody in the states it was a worldwide phenomenon we're talking to yeah. yeah. Over, over here in Ireland, we were, we, were, we, were, we were seeing it. I like how we're not addressing the elephant in the room. This is an audio medium. The listeners don't realize that Darren is dressed like a daffodil. Um, it's very distracting. <laughs> it is just a little bit distracting. But yeah, no, um, so Twin Peaks, massive cultural phenomenon. Uh, it was absolutely massive. It uh, debuted on ABC, became a huge touchstone, source of debate. Everyone was wondering who killed Laura Palmer. And then sort of it, it was so big overseas, it was massive in Japan. In Japan, you had like these mock funerals that were being held for Laura Palmer. Sort of, yeah, it was it was astonishing. Um, Lynch famously went over to Japan and directed a series of coffee commercials using characters uh, from this, which was quite impressive, uh, quite cool as well. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 
kind of it's it was this huge force of nature and then it sort of went away it drifted and we'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on in the podcast but then with that promise at the end of that final episode of the the first run the second season there was the i'll see you in 25 years which may be one of the great sort of sequel hooks as far as these things go and it was announced, I think, in 2014. Uh, it was uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost both tweeted out simultaneously that gum you like is coming back in style. You had a huge sale of the, the series based off nostalgia. There was like lots of gossip about which actors were coming back, which actors weren't coming back. You had this like tweeting out of pictures of like coffee. You had billboards all over the US covered in cherry pie. And you had this sort of huge swelling of nostalgia for Twin Peaks. And then when Twin Peaks The Return arrived... There was, I think, sort of an interesting push and pull among the fandom with regards mm. to whether they got what they wanted. I mean, when you talk about nostalgia, I want to talk about the ending. In terms of how we get to that ending and in terms of nostalgia, what do you think in terms of like how the return treated Twin Peaks, how it gave us the Twin Peaks that we thought we expected? I think it's worth comparing it to something else in that same year, The Last Jedi, which also treated nostalgia and also did the same thing of sort of denying it in many ways, what the fans quote-unquote wanted. And I think Twin Peaks got more leeway purely because people were like, well, it's Lynch, who knows what Lynch will do? And everyone was kind of waiting, I think, for the final two episodes to make, quote unquote, make sense of it all, and then it didn't, and people were angry. People were expecting Lynch to make sense. <laughs> I know, it was their own fault, really. Um, but I think the nostalgia thing, it's, it's one of the more honest, I guess, denials of nostalgia. Like, the whole idea of Dougie Jones is just this, you can't have what you like. Like, Cooper's gone, this is just a sad person now. Which is remarkable because it's very much like Dougie is, again, Dougie's that gum you like. And you keep thinking it's coming back into style. And you have like, he drinks coffee and he says, damn fine. And he has cherry pie and he says, "Mm, damn fine. But he never quite gets there. There's a great little bit in, I'm just jumping around a bit, sorry. No, go for it. You know, in the insurance office. When the guy who delivers the coffee gives his coffee to Dougie and he gives the other guy like a, a chai latte or something. And the guy at first is really pissed off, but then he actually prefers what he gets. That's where I'm at with Dougie Jones. I could have watched a Dougie only show if it, that's what it shows to be. But then, but then he drinks it. And there's mm. that wonderful moment where he sort of makes eye yeah. contact with Phil and he's like, OK, you get a pass yeah. on this one. Yeah, this is like lingering shot satisfaction. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, is, is there an element of that? I mean, even like you talk about you talk about Cooper himself and Dougie as like your promised Cooper and you keep getting Dougie and Dougie and Dougie and Dougie and Dougie and learning the same things over and over. There are two separate sequences where Dougie has to be taught to go to the bathroom, uh, which is like, because, you know, if you're if you're watching it and waiting for Cooper to come back, you're like, OK, well, he's learned to use the bathroom. So next he's going to like learn how to, I don't know, drive a car or something. It's like, no, 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 no. He's going to learn how to use the bathroom again. Um, and there's something very interesting and sort of playful in that. But there's also... Oh, interesting. <laughs> that you just... But I mean, even outside of Dougie, there's this interesting thing that happens with Twin Peaks itself. Where, again, you, you have the show and you have all the iconic locations. You have the set work that was done in the show. You have all the characters that you love. And like, I think in the series, um, ignoring like the flashbacks that open the return, I think the first time that you get to go anywhere near Twin Peaks is Jacoby in the forest receiving a shipment yeah. of shovels. And it's shot in long distance mm. and it's kind of obscured. And then you're sort of and it's also you barely hear the dialogue there. You like you wouldn't recognize it was Russ Tamblin except for the fact it says hi, Doc, you know. And it takes you five episodes to figure out what exactly he's doing with this crate of shovels that he has. But he's also the link between uh, Twin Peaks and the a show that they kind of base some of the kind of tone off of. 
he, he was in the original show Peyton Place that I think Mark Frost and David Lynch watched. So I think it's, maybe, maybe they were thinking that when they had him kind of... As the ambassador. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there is, there's... there's kind of unbroken there's a lot of that too and I remember like I everybody has their favorite Twin Peaks characters and I mean I'm going to tip my hand here and say I've got a big soft for a big soft spot for Big Ed mm. and I remember it taking 13 you episodes mm. I am Big Ed underneath it all uh, <laughs> you married to a Nadine <laughs> thanks thanks Andrew um, but like I remember like I Big Ed was the character that I was really invested in and he appears twice in two episodes I have to wait 13 episodes for him to show up and then Two episodes later, he gets like, and it, it's it's a hell of a capper. And we're, I, we'll probably talk about that later on. To be clear, I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> all, all of those things that Nadine says to him at the end. <laughs> like, you're such a great person and you did the right thing. And like, because you're, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. Imagine you, you both, <laughs> th- th- Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, that's very much an interesting sort of approach to nostalgia. Now, Lynch has gone on record and he's actually, he's been asked this in interviews and he's been asked, was this something that you deliberately did? Were you like teasing audience? Where you withholding audiences? Where you sort of did you want to make them wait so they'd savor it? And Lynch has denied this repeatedly, um, as clearly as Lynch does. Where and he explains that the ideas just came to him in the order they came to him. But it does feel a little teasing and deliberate, doesn't it? I, I always think he's being coy because yeah. you know sometimes there are things that seem so obvious as in jokes, yeah. like the two people watching the glass box forever, and nothing's <laughs> happening, then they're murdered. <laughs> that it feels like an in joke, but I don't know if After he ever Netflix wants. Netflix and chill. Yeah. <laughs> at Netflix and chilling Ooh. but uh... but yeah like I mean and there is a sense of that through it and it, it always feels like the characters are getting gradually closer to Twin Peaks across 18 hours and it kind of and there's something very interesting again we're, we're jumping right to the end I love this if you're listening to this podcast you're not listening to it hour for hour one for one with this but we're assuming you've watched the podcast uh, sorry the, the film but when you reach the end of it like episode six, yes. episode. <laughs> you can't stop the podcast because it's live. Well, you can if you're listening back to it. Um, <laughs> run out, watch it, come back and join us as we sort of settle down. We'll 18, still be here. <laughs> Eighteen hours uh, later. It will be in a windjammer. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, um, there is a sense that like Lynch and Frost, and again, like there's a tendency to downplay Frost involvement. We'll talk about that later on. But there's a tendency to like when you watch those final two episodes, like sixteen and seventeen it looks like Lynch is giving you what you want. It looks like Lynch is giving you a nice bow wrap on it. You have Cooper, who has been Dougie for, you know, okay, not 15, so say 13 episodes, roughly, um, finally waking up and being like, I am the FBI. And like and the, the theme plays. The theme plays. <laughs> as he the theme, yes, absolutely. That it, that it, 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 it felt kind of like all, all, almost um, like fan service. Uh, not, in a, not, no. in a, not in a bad way. In a, in In... In the way, in the way the fan service can make fans um, kind of delight mm. in um, in in a show, even even though it feels so kind of um, intentional. Yeah. But it, it did, it, yeah, it did feel like we were finally kind of being. It's yeah. a it's a very funny thing in a in hindsight because I've seen uh, the return twice now. Obviously, I watched it when it was live. Then I went back when the Blu-ray came out with a friend, and that moment when you know how it ends, it's actually a tragic moment. Because Coop has this plan in his head that goes very wrong. So I, f- I do think the whole thing, he is making a point about nostalgia, about moving on. Because mm. when he goes back and interferes with the past, it turns out worse, I think. 
That's what I took from it. You have that. You have him hop in the car. You have him drive. You have the theme playing. He gets on the plane. We're going to Twin Peaks. Um, and it's really exciting. And it's really sort of everybody's... Yeah, <laughs> but it's riveting and you have that sort of like they get there and you have the confrontation with Bob and it's it's this big epic thing you've got like a guy with and again Lynch and, and Frost Frost is kind of interesting on this because Frost we'll talk about Freddy later on probably I suspect at some point <laughs> but like Frost when asked about like Freddy and his green glove that he uses to punch evil in the face um, <laughs> he says I'm just going to say three words to you deus ex machina um, and there's a sense that like uh, you know maybe there was a bit of push and pull between Lynch and Frost on that but like you, it offers you a really trite conclusion where you can punch evil in the face, where good can triumph, mm. where everything comes back. And even Diane, who was lost, you know, the previous episode and who's been sort of off the whole season at that point, she gets to come back as well, wearing these big fluffy pajamas. Coop <laughs> is reunited with everybody. You wonder if they're going to go to the double or diner. And then, and then episode, like the second half of episode 17 and the entirety of episode 18 happen. And it's, it's devastating and it's all the more effective because it, it feels very orchestrated. I mean, people, yeah, people talk about like Lynch having this sort of dream logic approach, but it, it's very clearly structured and leading to that. I mean, what were your feelings watching that? Well, my favorite reading of the ending, because um, obviously there's multiple theories about what the actual last episode meant, but my favorite one is that, because anyway, the last half an hour is just them driving endlessly in like boring highways, stations, going to the Palmer house, and then that random woman opens the door. That's the actual owner of the real house. Yeah. And I love the idea wow. that, he, yeah, that the reading I've heard that I like the most is that that's Cooper entering the real world, like our world. That's why nothing works and there's nothing happening. And it's just, that's, I think, Lynch's final, in my mind, statement on it. Like, nostalgia is great, but in the real world, it's nothing. Like, it's dead. Move on with your lives. That's interesting as well, because I always wonder how um, how this relates to the real world or what, or what Lynch wants to say about it. Like, mm. I, I wonder, kind of, like, does Lynch... Uh, Believe in um, in demons in some kind of limited sense, or or have, want want to kind of say something about the the supernatural. If we're if we're going on that interpretation, it's kind of like it's 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 more like no, this is um, uh, storytelling. It's kind of um, which 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 would be more kind of like reasonable just to think it's oh, it's allegorical in that, mm. and it's not that Lynch has any kind of um, belief in in <laughs> in things beyond our understanding. I do remember an interview he had with Mark Cousins where at the end, and this was such a strange note that the interview ended on, uh, David Lynch just doubled down that he believed in angels and like nothing else because he was asked obviously about Firewalk with me when the angel shows up. He said, you know, I believe in angels. It's like, okay. (laughs) So that gives us some insight to his spirituality, I suppose, because he's obviously a very devout uh, meditator. But also angels. That, yeah, I, I would, I would, that would kind of encourage me in, 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 in the thought I had about this. Mm. I, I, like, because what, what, watching the show, I felt that kind of there, there, there that um, Lynch isn't a. It, it came across that he wasn't a materialist, and to, 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 to kind of watch to, to hear that there might be this interpretation where, where this is Dale entering uh, the real world would be to imply that their real world is real and 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 and, and um if um if if you catch my drift yeah mm. 
Um, but yeah, there is something interesting in that in terms of the real world. And it's interesting that like when you talk about that episode and you talk about the real world, they actually shot the uh, interior scenes with Sarah Palmer in the house using that real house. And like the owner of the house, and there's a wonderful interview on Vulture uh, where she talks about what it was like, the surreal experience of watching Twin Peaks on the same television that Laura Palmer <laughs> was watching her nature documentaries <laughs> and boxing matches on as well. That's incredible. It's, it's, it's like... Um remember the experience of, of of creating my own house in The Sims <laughs> and sitting in a room in my own house looking at my own house um, and it, 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 it seems like something that, 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 that Lynch would identify a little bit as well. So I think there was at some moment I was watching it with Darren and we had just seen um, kind of maybe 10 or 15 minutes and then the fireman was looking at what we had just <laughs> yeah. And I say, is somebody going to be looking at the fireman? Yeah, it's the reflexive, is the scene <laughs> going to be... Well, is, this, is this going to just be recursive? Well, I mean, there is a moment where, uh, where sort of Deputy Andy later on sort of is almost watching a recap of the show itself. And I mean, the show is very, very metatextual in that sense. I mean, like before Cooper crosses over, his words are, I'll see you all at Curtain Call. And I mean, mm. one of the interpretations, and I know there are lots of interpretations of what exactly the woodsmen are, but one of the interpretations is that they're borrowing from like Japanese theatre where the, the stagehands would be black mm. so as to blend in with the scenery. And what they're really doing is just arranging it as it goes. You have obviously the, the fact that the where the fireman lives is modeled on like a 30s movie house for example um, and even like you're right when you point out that he crosses over to the real world um, there's a wonderful moment and it's a great juxtaposition actually because we talked a moment earlier where like, it's like um, Bushnell's like shall we call the FBI and, and he's like no 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 I am the FBI and the theme plays and you get the close up of the face and Kyle McLaughlin's smiling and it's wonderful and it's reassuring and it's everything that you want it to be and then you get that replayed again after he crosses over and you get that moment in the diner where the waitress is like, what's going on? Shall we call the cops? And he's like, it's OK, I'm with the FBI. But now, because you're no longer in the world of Twin Peaks, because you're no longer in the world in which Cooper exists, it becomes a lot more menacing and frightening and a lot more unsettling than it was when you had pretty much the same scene play out, not 90 minutes earlier. Which is a sort of an interesting sort of juxtaposition. But yeah, it is, it's kind of fascinating how you have that idea of the show sort of crossing over into the real world. And there's a real sense watching the return, at least for me, that one of the major themes is the idea that you can't go home again. Because mm. like, and this is one of the things with, like, again, we talked about Dougie and the idea of Dougie being like watching as an audience, you're waiting for him to get to Cooper and you think that's what home is. And like, there's also the weird and it's it's really uncomfortable when you think about it, uh, where where you have that sort of you have that sort of moment uh, where like Leyland Palmer, who is the man who murdered his daughter under the influence of Bob, but was still inherently corrupted by it. In fact, one of the big themes of the return and something that like Firewalk with me and the return make clear is that, you know, Bob is not like a straight up possession. It's not like he, he moves your hand like a puppet master. It's that he brings out parts of you that were already there. So there was a part of Leyland that was implicated in everything that happened with Laura. But you have Leyland telling Cooper in the second episode and again in the 17th episode to find Laura. And you have Cooper himself trying to find Laura and bring her home. And he's trying to bring an incest survivor back to the house where she was abused. And there's this weird sense where Hawk, and again, it's episode 16, where Hawk goes to, or maybe it's 14, but it's where Hawk goes to check in on Sarah. 
and the door opens and you can see the fan mm. moving in the window. It's a beautiful shot. And like when she opens it, you can hear sounds inside the house. And there's a real sense that like the Palmer household is not somewhere that you would want to be. And why would you want to take somebody home to that? Um, and you have that juxtaposed. And again, this is the, the wonderful thing with the 18th episode. You can watch boxing, have, have some Bloody Marys. <laughs> Does that sound too bad? Yeah, you can... Uh, <laughs> Try to smash a picture. Yeah, know? just repeatedly, but yeah. it just won't work. Um, <laughs> yeah, do really bad jobs. Maybe help smash pictures. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is this kind of sense that, like, home... Sometimes it's not a good idea to go home. And it feels like the Twin the twin Peaks, sort of the return is saying that in a sense, in that it's like saying that you want to go home and you have that urge like Cooper does, where he has a very definite idea of what home is. Home is bringing Laura Palmer, who died and whose death sort of sparked the series and who became this figure of mystery that drove the show, bringing her back to her house and restoring her to her parents. That's a very conventional idea of like what going home is. And you have that juxtaposed with, and I think this is the only scene in episode 18 that's actually set within the original world, depending on whether or not you believe where Cooper crosses over. Does he cross over, you know, at the gro- at Glove? At the Grove? Does he cross over when he goes under the Great Northern or whatever? Or does he cross over when he goes the 430 milestone? Um, that sort of thing. Or does he cross over during sex where the motel that he's staying at seems to change? But depending on how you look at that... Um, the, the only real sequence that sort of stands out as belonging with the previous 17 is the sequence where Dougie, this copy of Cooper that's been made from his hair and the little gold seed, knocks on the door and Janie E and Sonny Jim open it and they have this big embrace. And his last word is home. And it, like, it's mm. weird. That almost feels like Lynch's kind of like, this is the idea of home. It's like making a family where you find it. It's like Cooper had a choice. He literally, and he, again, literally split in two because Twin Peaks is all about doubling. But like Cooper was like, uh, he could have stayed with Janie. He could have lived in that domestic bliss and domestic environment. That sort of like wonderful place where he had financial security. He had comfort. He had a home. He had a people and people who loved him. Or he could go back and relive this trauma from like 1989. And he chose to go back. Wasn't even swayed by the gym set. <laughs> Complete with the spotlight as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was an incredible gym set. A house full of sandwiches. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what's wrong with Cooper? Yeah. Um. I mean, yes. I see. See you all at curtain call. But there is this thing that runs through it, and again, and it's really, really uncomfortable because you have that sequence in episode eighteen where himself and Diane go to the motel, and they have sex, and it's one of the most uncomfortable mm. scenes that I've ever sat through. <laughs> um, you have to watch it in a pub. <laughs> We're going to talk about how Andrew watched The Return later. Because um, if, so, you, if you compare that to Dougie's sex scene, yeah. which was great, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Maybe every, the highlight of the show. Every, everybody, everybody Flapping his arms. One, my my favourite, there's an interview with uh, Kyle McLaughlin at Vulture where he talks about how like the best, one of the best pieces of direction that he got from uh, the over the course of the entire series wasn't actually from Lynch, but from like a, a production assistant who was on the scene. It's just like, you, sh- you know that thing you did with your arms in that take? Just do that, but more. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's great. But you have like that really uncomfortable sex scene with uh, Diane. Yeah, and like, <laughs> like so much of the return. Um, but you have that kind of really uncomfortable sex scene in the. Not mo- quite Tarkovsky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like we 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 spoke. Uh, we we've 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 covered one Tarkovsky movie so far, and we'll be covering another one soonish, possibly. Yeah, yeah, but it it it, 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 it like not not 
not only were, were was was some of the imagery better, but I, I, I did feel like something was eventually going to happen. <laughs> so it was kind of encouraging. But you have like, so Cooper is trying to capture something that he had with Diane that's long gone. And he's trying to replay this. And again, you have this thing where he's taking a woman who's been victimized mm. and who's had something horrible happen to her. She was raped by his doppelganger. And he's replaying that scene in the same way that he's trying to take Laura Palmer back to the house where she was abused since she was 12 years old. And to Cooper, that's making things right. Is it You go back and you do it over and you hope that it works. And it, there's something very effective about how the return makes all of that really uncomfortable and really creepy and kind of plays, I think, as a comment on nostalgia, on this idea that you, you can't go back. And in some cases, maybe you shouldn't go mm. back. I think it's definitely something Lynch is preoccupied with. Like, I'm not sure if anyone's read his autobiography that came out last year. A year, Room sorry. to Dream. Yeah. yeah. It's quite good, but also you get a real sense that he's just left this like litany of... I don't want to say damaged women, but like he's had relationships that ended very badly be purely because he's an egotist. Not an egotist, but like he's such he's so committed to his art that it sort of ruined several marriages, it seems. And you could look at the return as him just commenting on his own need, like Cooper, to like rescue these women that he's in some way wrong in the past, but not being able to almost. But he 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 does love. I was watching it um, and and wondering a little bit about Lynch because he he loves to write difficult women, um, and it, with 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 these kind of small men. And I, like I I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean I I I haven't I haven't read much biography of, him, but um, yeah I wonder kind of um, how 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 he feels about these things and what his art kind of has to say about them. Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, there there is something kind of, and it kind of plays into that theme that runs through the return in terms of like aging and growing old. Like a large part of the return. Guys, we're going to be talking for ages. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, jump in, yeah. Um, jump in. Like, what is it like when you think about nostalgia? You think about like Twin Peaks, and you think about how the return treats nostalgia. What is it that kind of grabs you? What is it that you think about? Like. What is it specifically about the ending? Or what does the ending say? Or what does the show itself say about nostalgia? Because you've had this wave of 90s nostalgia recently. Mm-hmm. You've had these, all these remakes, sequels, reboots, TV shows that have come back. Like, and the return initially seemed like it was going to be one of those things. And then it turned into something very different. Like, like in a masochistic sense, I love it purely because I think if it had delivered a third season of just more Twin Peaks, that would have been like perfectly gratifying while watching it. But then maybe disappointing on the whole because it didn't do anything new. Whereas... I think the Dougie thing especially, just because those first, was it three episodes they released at the very start all at once? On the first day? Yeah, four. Two, two and then oh, two more online. So yeah, yeah, so the first four two essentially were combined, like one yeah. to go. And it felt like at the end of those four, okay, Cooper's back now, he's got coffee, it's fine. But then it wasn't, and there was... Back like, away there just a little bit. Like 60 more hours of Dougie just being Dougie. And I, I guess it makes that final Cooper moment really good, just because he's finally there and I'm the FBI, blah, blah, blah. But... I do think just denying you the nostalgia that culture, modern culture especially, pop culture, has let you believe you're owed or that you're going to get felt more satisfying in a... Purely because you didn't get it, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm saying here. Um, Cultural masochism, I suppose. I think (laughs) the way he handled like uh, where characters' storylines went was really satisfying in going a different direction. Like Mm. when Bobby Briggs shows up as a cop, I I leaped out of my chair. I was like, yes, Bobby. Even though he One killed that face. man in Firewalk with me. Yeah. <laughs> that guy that guy I think pulled a weapon on him first, sure, so I'm on sure. his side. <laughs> Bobby killed a guy. Yeah, Bobby straight up killed a guy. 
<laughs> well, so it makes sense he's a cop fault. then. And yeah. he shoots him in the back of the head as well, so you get the nice little, yeah, again, this, that was one of those we're not on ABC anymore moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they have like, like the archival footage to remind us that, <laughs> that, 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 that this officer brings um, has, has, has killed a person. Oh yeah, and all the other stuff as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, the cocaine dealing. Yeah. Yeah. House I think breaking and entering. Stuck for deputies <laughs> in, in, in Twin Peaks because he's probably like. Well, Andy was qualified apparently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Andy's a veteran. Yeah. <laughs> like Br- Briggs has killed a guy and deal drugs, but he's by like he's not by. Worse. Yeah, he, he's not even close to the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's funny because they have. I think Benjamin Horn has kind of a redemptive arc as well. Yeah. All the Hello. He used to do in the first two seasons by season three it. saying, no, I don't want to sleep around. People are like, oh, like, um, are we going to get to see Ben sleep with Ashley Judd? No, you're not. Um, <laughs> you just complained about the discomfort of walking <laughs> Diane and Cooper sort of in the hotel. Yes. Okay, never mind. All right. <laughs> I didn't complain about it. You said it was linked. <laughs> um, Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> but there there is something yeah about denying, and it, it's kind of one of my favorite theories about, and one of the things I quite like about the return is the implication that like you have you have the front office staff of the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department who are you know obviously like Andy um, and Bobby now and Sheriff Truman and Lucy and you know Hawk who is the probably the most competent of the bunch of them if we're being entirely <laughs> honest. Yeah, um, no, I'm, like um, I think if you had said to Hawk kind of like in in like series one, it's like Hawk, um, we're fixing some coffee here. Can you find Laura's killer and we'll meet you back here at ten? And he he would have just sorted out. He's like, he's like yeah. Like, found a killer <laughs> it's like thanks Hawk but then it wouldn't have been any show it seems that everything you give Hawk to do gets he, done he, yeah mm. yeah and he never he never has any kind of um, a, a real kind of um, crises or difficulties that he's unable to 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 deal with everyone's going nuts around him um, so yeah just uh, give, uh, give the work to Hawk but yeah, no, the, th- the thing about that, though, is that one of the things I quite like about, or that, you know, sort of implied by the return that I quite like is the idea that the deputies have this entire sort of, like, back office staff who actually do most of the police work. You have mm-hmm. that call center, you have the, uh, what is your location, uh, we'll sort of send this out to you, that sort of stuff. What is your location, we have sent this out. Yeah, that sort of <laughs> thing. What is your location, we have sent this out. Yeah. Uh, and just in case you're worried that he's not going to... Um, repeat the same exchange like four or five times you definitely will <laughs> Just to make it clear. but I like the idea that that frees up like the front office staff to have these wacky adventures and I mean they have the moment in I think it's episode 14 before they go out to camp where they arrest Chad because it's like mm. let's actually do some proper police work and then we get to do the fun camping trip and that sort of stuff but there is there is something very sort of like in- so yeah I can imagine that's how Bobby Briggs ends up being a deputy it's like he gets to go with the front office staff you know, as opposed to actually doing like the hard police work in the department, uh, which is kind of and it, the only time you actually really see him do proper police work, I think, is that sequence at the diner yeah. where there's a shot literally through the window. Um, it's kind of believable in the world of Twin Peaks as well, because you have Leland Palmer, who 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 uh, 
um, kind of in the first season has murdered Jacques Renault. <laughs> and they're like, well, he was probably a bit nuts at the time. <laughs> uh, let's see if he wants to be a lawyer. Um, and um, and he's, he's, he's going to defend himself as well. <laughs> like they, they, uh, they, uh, there, there's a lot of very kind of like small town sort of like, well, yes, he did. Um, he did kill somebody. Uh, but he, he's he's a good guy. Uh, we we know him. My kids went to school with him. Um, yeah, I feel like in any other film, though, Bobby would be an obvious, pretty standard protagonist. Like in Twin Peaks, because it's such an earnest, moralless tale in some ways, it does feel weird that he becomes a cop. But at the same time, it is a regular '50s set, or not even '50s set, but like kind of throwback sort of small town, co- yeah, mm. small town cop movie. He'd make sense. You're like, oh, he has that one dark secret, but he's fine. Yeah, but for some reason, Twin Peaks is like, oh, ooh, bad guy. Why is he a cop? I mean, to, to be honest, if you watch the show, you wouldn't. If you watch The Return, and it, it kind of like I remember rewatching again. Andrew, before he did this, Andrew binned the whole thing from beginning to end. It had been a little God. while since I'd watched the first two seasons. It's quite an intense thing. We're going to be talking about that later. But I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm, I may I may have skipped. <laughs> I think Darren told me. Because season was, two has some gaps. I only watched forty hours, um, <laughs> so yeah. Darren, Darren told me, "Oh, how much have you watched? Um, up to episode ten of of season two. It's like okay, skip everything until <laughs> until the finale. So yeah, and and firewalk with me. Yeah, but I mean, there is this sort of um, rewatching it. There's this weird sense of like where the characters come from and go because the return doesn't always give you a lot of context. You know who these cough, characters Audrey, are. Audrey, cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Audrey thing is kind of interesting. Famously, um, Sher- Sherilyn Finn originally saw the script and turned it down or said she didn't want to do it. I did. Yeah, it I heard had, something about that. It had to be. I didn't hear that. Interesting. Yeah, it had to be hastily rewritten, I believe. And again, this is the thing where Lynch and Frost wrote most of it back and forth over Skype. Frost joking that it meant that he didn't have to sit in the room with sort of Lynch and his cigarette smoke <laughs> for all those hours. Uh, but you had this sort of... Um, so apparently Sherilyn Finn saw what was originally intended for Audrey, um, said she didn't want to do it, and Lynch reworked it sort of on the fly, uh, which is why I suspect part of the reason that the scenes feel the way that they do. But there's something, again, and I think that she plays into this idea of nostalgia as well, because you have, like, Audrey... Like, she's dressed very much like she was during the 90s. She's dressed like she was on the show originally. She comes back and she does the dance in the roadhouse uh, to Audrey's theme. Explicitly which is, called Audrey's yeah. Dance. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is explicitly sort of one of those things. It feels like the show is offering you this thing that you want because Audrey's dance is one of the most iconic like pieces of Twin Peaks. It's a sequence that everybody knows, even if you've probably never watched the show, mm. you know the the music. I'm not going to try and hum it. because I was just going to ask uh, for the listeners, Darren is not going to hum. I, I, like we can if, do a four-way acapella. It's if fine. we have 18 hours, I feel like there should be a, a, a segment of he Darren gets doing to Darren's pronounce dance. people's names. Darren gets to hum uh, uh, tunes that you know and love. And you have um, to guess which tunes they are. Exactly. The It'll be like, never mind the buzzcock. Um, dear God, I won't inflict that's that. That's for the 4am slot, I assume. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's when things... We'll really wait until start. people stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> Has that happened yet? Um, but we, we have had some feedback about the mics earlier on, but that seems to be under control now. Thank you, everybody, for your patience. But yeah, like the show offers you this thing that you think you want, which is Audrey dancing to Audrey's theme and dressed very much like Audrey from the 90s. And it has this almost weird nightmarish, not not almost, it has this mm-hmm. nightmarish weird quality to it where it becomes almost grotesque and uncomfortable 
and strange and just really, really odd. And you feel very odd watching. That's the thing about, and again, Andrew joked about this when he was watching, like, oh, watch a lot of Twin Peaks on public transport and in the pub. Um, in order <laughs> yeah. To, but, um, Does he sound like I'm always in the pub? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's true. How uncomfortable you feel doing that. There are, there, there's a lot of, a lot of Twin Peaks that even when you're watching it by yourself in a darkened room, you mm. still feel a little bit uncomfortable doing. And it's kind of interesting how that's tied to, as you pointed out, that, that gum you want that's coming back into style. It's like, do you really want that gum? Do you really want, like, culture to have stopped in 1991? Do you really want to sort of, like... When you put it like that, no, not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, because there, there is. There's this um, this weird nostalgic trend. And, I mean, nostalgia's always been a thing running through pop culture, but it's particularly strong now. And you see this sort of yearning that's pulling you back, that sort of wants you to, like, go back to... That imagines the 90s as a time. It's worth noting, by the way, that, like, Twin Peaks debuted opposite say you know the um the return of the x-files um and that sort of stuff and you have other stuff prison break uh robert nepper who appears in both of those uh prison break came back as well for a revival there was talk of a heroes revival i don't know if that actually happened again those this is shows also weren't that old were I, they I, uh yeah that's fair They're i think there's a years. fraser revival coming as well yeah i heard about that and every once in a while you hear gossip about stuff like a friends revival as well and it's i i hear the blues are calling <laughs> Toss salad? <laughs> scrambled eggs? Um, yeah. But yeah. There, there is going to be actual toss salad and scrambled eggs in, in Fraser The Return. Uh, <laughs> you just have to wait the full eight episodes to get there. But I mean, there is. They replace like, Niles with a tree. <laughs> <laughs> or a I giant kettle. The, I, I am the evolution of the Nile. Um, but yeah, there's this sort of. There's this sense of. And again, it's worth noting that, like the series opens with this nostalgic beat you have like and again they play the theme music is the same it's the same theme music they have the shots now it's not the exact same Which opening is. but you <laughs> have yeah thank you Andrew <laughs> but they have like the waterfalls that you expect from the original show it's different shots now obviously mm. but they have even stuff like the red curtain, curtains and the sort of zigzags of the waiting room or the red room and it's very much like remember Twin Peaks not as it was but as like as a set of cultural markers and it's kind of like, it's amazing how, as a culture, we seem to want to go back to that. I mean, even if you look at, say, the superhero boom, you could argue is an extension of, like, not of comic books, because nobody reads comic books anymore. <laughs> uh, the direct market has actually killed comic books as a mass market audience. But, like, comic book movies, you could argue, are an extension of 90s nostalgia in the sense that, like, we go to X-Men movies not because we read X-Men comics, but because we watched X-Men cartoons in the 90s. We go to Batman movies not because we read Batman comics, but because we watched Batman the Animated Series. And it's, it's kind of, and again, you have, like, when people like Simon Pegg are talking about how like society is keeping us in a state of like perpetual arrested development mm -hmm. it's interesting that like Twin Peaks initially sort of set out like this and seemed to be that and then kind of pulls the rug out from under you and again there's this really poignant theme that runs through it of aging I mean uh, so many of the episodes end with dedications to people who mm. passed away and yeah. some of them don't even end to dedications because those people passed away between the filming of the show and afterwards and it, it's kind of I like watching Twin Peaks in that context because it feels because it does offer you that nostalgic hit I mean I joked about like Big Ed and waiting 13 episodes for Big Ed and the payoff is worth it I I pretty much I cried uh, and I never cry I, I've got a, yeah <laughs> so, and that, that's Andrew my long time this podcast this is a 250 first yeah Darren cried I had little tears in my eyes during that sequence in episode 15 and it does not it, big manly tears no no, no little like <laughs> wet like ugly cried I, I rolled up into a ball and I ugly cried but it, it it kind of it gives you just enough but it also acknowledges like the passage of time which is and i feel like there's something i feel like that's something culture needs maybe 
you know and I feel that there's something I'm really glad having watched The Return a couple of times that aspect of it where it's like that gum you want maybe is coming back and so I'm going to keep using that line apologies it's a good line <laughs> um, I mean. but like that it, it is coming back but it will be different and it will have changed because time will have taken its toll and you'll have to acknowledge things like the death of David Bowie for example or even like every time you see uh, Miguel Ferrer, Ferrer on screen mm. yeah like, there's a reminder oh, that he's yeah that, oh. that like he didn't live to see it broadcast even I think um, it's and and every frame of it's there, every weight of it, and even Lynch himself as Gordon Cole, where he seems older uh, now, and he seems like you can tell the difference between. Hey, he's having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> he is absolutely having a great time, but there's there's an element of like watching somebody who is like Lynch has talked about how this might be how he may not make any future films, and there's mm. a bit of back and forth about whether or not there'll be a fourth season of Twin Peaks, but there's a very good chance this could be Lynch's last big mass audience, so to speak, uh, <laughs> in terms of like as much as the Showtime show can be a mass audience experience, but this could be like Lynch's last big thing. And I like that you say thing. It's you're, you're, it's still it's still not going to say show or. Film show movie. Oh, we called it a while ago. Coming up later. <laughs> yeah, um, but there is like, it's kind of I, I I like that, and I feel like it's an interesting contrast between the two. What do you guys make of it? Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I do like that. It's it does do exactly what you're saying. Like it does question this Arrested Development idea of modern culture, and I think it is interesting that it's compared to Twin Peaks season one and two, it's very different. But compared to Fire Walk with Me, it feels Yes. of a piece which is all it's, it's as far removed from that as it is technically in time Twin Peaks originally um, yet Fire Walk With Me was equally horribly received upon initial uh, release and I think I do think part of the negative response to the return has to be the, that denial of the gum that you want coming back in fashion what's very irritating for um, me is quite a few people I'm friends with who watched like the first episode of Return never went back Really? I, yeah, I asked him. I mean, him, I can kind of understand that. <laughs> but, but I asked him, like, oh, what didn't you like about it? And um, they, you know, they were like, oh, it's too dark. It's nothing like what we like about Twin Peaks. I was like, did you watch the movie? Mm. They said, movie? That was a bit of a, <laughs> it is, a sad like, time. Because, I mean, like, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, like, me advising Andrew to skip certain parts of Twin Peaks in order to get this sort of done on time. But mm. one of the parts I was very adamant that we watched was Firewalk With Me. Because it is, it feels... And again, somebody somebody who wanted to, like, watch the show before the podcast asked me, like, can I watch The Return without watching the original Twin Peaks? And I'm like, mm, you should probably at least watch Firewalk With Me. Because yeah. Firewalk mm. With Me feels like it's... And again, this is the thing with... Uh, the return looks like something that would be on Showtime. It does. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there's there's um there's a lot more overt sexuality. It opens with the smashing of a television. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mm. I will say that one of the most disturbing sequences uh, in Firewalk with me for me was the moment where Laura was naked because I don't want to see James Hurley sexualized like that. Um, it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> I can't possibly imagine that. Um, but it it does. There's a sense of Lynch casting off the shackles of television. We're going to be talking about this later mm. on, obviously. But like with firewalk with me he could like do all the stuff that he couldn't do on on abc and there's a real sense that like the return is arguably more of a sequel to firewalk with me than it is to the original series um and it's it's kind of striking even watching it sort of jumping in i mean andrew you you watch them one after the other what was that experience like we're, we're, we're talking about well yeah i'm i'm i mean he had this he had this remit i guess in the in the in the in the kind of late 80s um to make a TV show, and it, it kind of they they 
they had discussed a few things about doing it. I I, I believe one of the ideas was um, Marilyn Monroe. Um, it's a bit like us, Darren, when we're trying to think 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 up of 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 doing a podcast. Will we do it under two fifty? Will we have an eighteen hour um, Twin Peaks one? Twin Peaks. But the the interesting. <laughs> I love when I say the interesting thing, and I haven't decided what the interesting <laughs> thing is. Before we um, get to the dartboard, it's, so it, it's 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 a TV show by um, made by somebody who's so, who, who's who's such a kind of a counterculture uh, uh, phenomenon, um, and I think what 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 worked very well about the um, about season one was was how many of these kind of um, soap opera. Uh, tropes that he uses, um, and he's kind of he he's using all of these things that are familiar um, to people and juxtaposing them with which um, with all of these um, uh, uh, surreal aspects that people aren't used to but loved in um, why can't I think of the name of that movie? A blue velvet, uh, blue velvet exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because uh, um, and to to have that kind of balance there of uh, um, made 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 a lot of sense. The I think I think when it comes to um, Fire Walk with Me and uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, it's maybe that David Lynch has kind of um, decided he can eschew some of the more kind of. Uh, soap opera elements and and do more of 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 what he wants to do without the the the, the kind of spoonful of sugar. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's one of the arguments I've heard about the Audrey Horn scenes is that she, the reason she feels so disconnected from the rest of the characters is because she still thinks she's in a soap opera. She's acting like she is mm, with mm. infidelities, betrayals, this sort of stuff, um, and it's sort of like you have. Against that, the idea that everybody else has sort of moved on to their own thing, but she's still living in this like romantic triangles, uh, trist sort of like the story of the little girl who lives down the lane. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the sense that that's why she's sort of place. And again, that plays into this idea of nostalgia, because to a certain extent, Audrey is still sort of trapped in a a little bubble. And I mean, you can imply that she's in a coma. I think Frost has has denied that reading. But, you know, Lynch has been typically vague about it, Mm. as as tends to be the way. But I mean, there is this sense that like, yeah, that, that aspect is gone. And I think that there is an element of like the reason Audrey feels so disconnected is because she's still living it. Um, she hasn't escaped it. She's trapped in it almost. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, um, it's I suppose there is there there's elements to kind of enjoying something where you're 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 going to have plenty of people who 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 will say that they loved uh, uh, Firewalk with Me and and season three and it's their favorite. They're always going to be in a minority, I think. I don't I don't think David Lynch would have a problem with that though. Well, Lynch, I, don't, I, I don't I I don't think it's. I mean, obviously, they, it's important for anyone kind of making something that somebody likes it. But I, 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 w- I, w- I would imagine kind of it would be more important to him that his kind of vision um, has been realized and that he's found an audience rather than like that. This is the same kind of like cultural phenomenon as as Twin Peaks series one was. Mm. Yeah, I doubt he cares about that. Remotely. No, no, I don't. <laughs> like Inland Empire as a thing that exists proves that he does not give, give it. Hello. 
laughed about what everyone thinks about what he makes. One hundred percent. And uh, like Mon, um, even Drive. even Mulholland Drive. Um, well, Mulholland Drive is famously the example of like he shopped it around as a TV show pilot, mm. and yeah. they said no, and he was like fine um and then he's like just releases it as originally thing. it was going to be a twin peaks yeah. spin-off wasn't it it's going to be audrey, audrey uh, horn pro- goes to hollywood again, yeah. again we have this sort of sense of audrey as the nexus of yeah. this sort of like wave of nostalgia that almost was but isn't quite and so it slips from her grasp mm. um while we're talking about audrey by the way we should mention sherlyn finn um her apartment burnt down i believe oh yeah um so she is raising funds for that as well you can donate uh, online for that we'll tweet out the link uh, later on um, but if you want to support that as well, we are doing this with the Irish Cancer Society, but that's also a good cause as well if you want to support that. Uh, but yeah, it's... Sorry, you were saying? Oh, I don't remember now. I was going <laughs> through sorry, sorry. there. But um, <laughs> yeah, but about like the, the spin-off, Mulholland Drive began yeah, as, a, yeah. as a Twin Peaks spin-off almost. Just, um, it's funny because I think, I think you're going to be covering it later, but season three, as I was watching it, it felt almost like the Dark Tower, but of um, uh, David Lynch's work, like bits and pieces from all over. Like Richard Horn was like uh, Frank from Blue Velvet as a teenager. Yeah. And just all little visual okay, motifs yeah, that yeah. repeat. Even the characters and the evolution. The, the casting. Oh, and the casting, casting of course. Because yeah. yeah. uh, we have Naomi Watts. We have... From Malone um, Drive. Yeah, we, we, we have... Harry the, Dean um, Stanton in a much larger role than mm. he had in Firewalk With mm. Me. And arguably uh, the character somewhat different. Balthazar Getty was in it for a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, for <laughs> three episodes. Yeah. <laughs> in in yeah. sort of wildly divergent roles. Yeah, he's the um, he's the guy who was in charge in uh, Las Vegas, isn't he? Who's ordering all the hits? No, no, he's, no. He... He's red, so he's the guy who. Well, first of all, he pops up in the end, of the second episode, and he gives like um, Shelley the thing, the sort of like finger guns at the bar. Oh and yes, then yeah, yeah. He's the guy that Richard buys the drugs from with the coin toss, and then he pops up again as as uh, Shelley's girlfriend, Shelley's boyfriend. Um, Norma's boyfriend Nor- no. oh no no yes no. you're right yeah. it's, it's very apparent that I've just seen it <laughs> <laughs> it's all blurring together but yeah um, and again yeah he's obviously from Lost Highway as well and mm. you have again this all, and again all these Lynchian themes of like doubles and stuff like that as well but even the techniques as well like the, the special effects in this mm. uh, at, like at times they're absolutely amazing like the, the mm. nuclear bomb explosion episode 8 mm. or the sequence in episode 17 where you have Kyle MacLachlan leading a, a young sort of uh, Cheryl Lee uh, through the woods mm. And that's amazing. And then at the other points, you have moments where it, the bob it, head and the <laughs> punching, yes. yeah, um, and it and it looks like there's a sense that Lynch is almost going back to his sort of experimental, sort of you know, art school mm. sort of roots. Like the evolution of the arm, I think, is like something. I don't know if it's from the grandmother or or one of his other yeah. early sort of student films as well. Well, it's actually there's a sculpture he made way before. I was reading through an old book of his of like a bubble gum on a soldier's head. And it looked exactly like the, the evolution of the arm. Yeah. It was like a bit of gum on a tree. Um, that's our genius. Our, as we our, said. Our, our <laughs> guest Marianne. Yeah. That's her, her, her favorite character is the arm. <laughs> <laughs> the arm or the evolution of the arm? Or just as a consistent sort of... Uh... Just the arm. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's also even like the bits... Uh, where... Dog. Like... Oh, Eraserhead, yes. Sorry. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Green, on the on the chat here. Point out that it's it's Eraserhead that we're talking about in terms of influences as well. Oh, yes. um, and, yeah. and I mean, obviously, the room. It's, like, it's uh, the, I think one of the, the is it the red room looks a lot like the the room that he used in Eraserhead as well. Um, there's lots of that sort of stuff in there. And there's a, there's always tons of head trauma. But on Showtime, you can really, <laughs> really go for it. Um, really go for it. Like the the um, uh, Hastings. 
and the the um, Todd. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, that got very and, excited about Todd. <laughs> and uh, Sam um, and um, Matthew the, Lillard's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the beginning. Oh, he's he's Bill Hastings. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Lynch loves kind of drama. Yeah, yeah. He'll throw it in where 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 um, wherever it can go. Um, but yeah, uh, we're sort of about wrapping up on the first hour, but we sort of wanted to do before we wrapped up was to ask like each of our guests. Now, Niall's going to stick with us to talk about Firewalk with me. Uh, but Richard, since you're heading off, um, we're going to save, you know, saved a tough one for you towards the end. Great. What is Twin <laughs> Peaks about for you? Because we figure we have like 18 odd people coming on. We'll get 18 different answers. Uh, so we thought it might be nice as a sort of a... I feel this is a question you should have like sent out in the initial emails telling us <laughs> we were doing it. Like it was time to think about it on the spot. That's a horrible question. Ask anyone. How dare you? Um, <laughs> that is... That is, that is something that that a person might do. Yes, that <laughs> is not something that Darren might. Darren loves asking this question. Yeah. It's so, my, Richard, so, <laughs> what is it's great Twin you, Peaks you score, it's, it's about got, for you? For it's got the little sort of spotlight, like the like the jungle gym, like mm-hmm. Sunny Jim's jungle mm-hmm. gym. Um, but yeah, if you were to sum up, like, what is it about Twin Peaks that you like or love? What is it that sort of resonates with you? What is it that sort of like grabs your attention and Su- holds it? Summarize Proust in thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I just overall love the idea of it being this very, like the facade is this very wholesome thing. It's all pie and coffee and all that jazz, literally jazz. And then just lurking at all times around the fringe is this incredible, very human darkness. And I guess that's, this is going to sound very lofty. That just feels very appropriate to how the world is in my mind. Like it's a facade of nice things and commercialism, capitalism and coffee. And yet there's just this constant bleak human misery uh, at the heart of all of it yeah I, I think there's definitely truth to that even even the way like in in the return the way Briggs looks at that um, uh, family when the gunners went off and they're all mm-hmm. like kind of like wearing camouflage and he's he's just and uh, just staring at them and then and then going around to the to the other car where there's a woman like mm. honking her horn yeah, and um, and then like s- screaming at him and then the the the, the girl uh, next to her just getting sick and this is all normal kind of uh, real um, uh, stuff I, I mean the, the 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 girl getting sick is like something out of the exorcist all right but it seems it's it's it seems to be it says to me anyway this is this is the world or this is kind of like a, a, a certainly like a prism for 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 looking at the world yeah because in the real world there is constantly stuff that you don't understand happening around like people's own microcosms of their lives like the girl getting sick that's never explained in the show but in real life you could be walking down the road and see it happen and you wouldn't know why it happened or what happened afterwards yeah and a great quote from Ray Wise where he's asked about like why Lynch's work resonates to the extent that it does and and his response is David Lynch's work is work is weird because the world is weird yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, Ray Wise, sir. Actually, was it your uh, synopsis of, or like retrospective on the old series, talking about the hotel sequence in season one with the. Is there a band playing or something? The, the, there was a recurring joke in the first season where yeah. they would just have. Every week, the Great Northern would have a convention of some description. Yeah, and it's never yes. explained or elaborated on. Tell you but you were saying that, like, that's what hotels are really like yeah. in the real world. You wouldn't yeah. know why these things are happening. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's... You're walking through, and there's people in later yeah. hours, and or there's people. Got all these sailors. Up. Yeah, <laughs> that's it exactly. <laughs> it's not funny to think in season one how much of that show was about like land disputes, <laughs> and by season three, there's a nuclear bomb and things from another dimension. It, yeah, but <laughs> it's so true how the world 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 is. Odd. Like I think when I was in the pub. 
Um, there might have been, I don't know what exactly uh, they were coming uh, from, but they were all talking about a fight and um, and people fighting and stuff. And they were all kind of like sitting down and, and joining the table kind of like one by one. And I'm thinking, what are, and I, I was thinking, they, they don't really match the, the, the profile. And I think I started to grasp, I think these are LARPers <laughs> and that they're going to a LARPing convention. <laughs> But uh, like these really kind of odd uh, sort of incongruous um, elements. I yeah, mean, like yeah. we were writing on the bus. much love to all our LARPing oh, listeners. Yeah. But <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, and that—that's the but wonderful thing. It's like I mean, I was I was walking, we were on the bus coming in today, and listening to people overhearing conversations. And it was like something from the Roadhouse, and it was mm-hmm. like um, I mean, I remember being on a bus to a certain part of the country, which I won't name for like libelous <laughs> reasons, and it'd be like, uh, so where's Bob now? Where's he going? He can't go there. They're- Hello. Kill him. Um, just open conversation on a bus on a phone. Oh and- yeah, no, I've overheard those conversations tons of times. I had like a person on on the bus one time who was like, "I'll kill him. I will. I will actually kill him." <laughs> just to- no, so no, just can- to be clear, yeah, kill him. Um, <laughs> and then at some point, I turned around and I said, "Could you?" Could you just like uh, keep it down a bit? Like, I, I, <laughs> for some reason, I decided it was a, a good idea. To, to, and 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 then she gets on the phone and says, "I um, meet me at the station. There's someone here that I want." And then I, I and then I got on the phone and I was like, "Hello, police." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there, there there there's these kind of um, uh, strange encounters everywhere if you're looking for, it, especially in small towns. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean. Um, um, in small towns, it's it, it's maybe more incongruous because they 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 have this kind of like great sense of community and closeness um, there, and all of those kind of um, you know light aspects of 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 Twin Peaks. But there's also the uh, kind of strange margins. Like I, I remember at my um, uh, uh, grandfather's funeral back in 1998. Um, uh, like very, very kind of um, uh, traditional um, uh, uh, community, um, and everyone kind of like going, um, uh, uh, shaking my hand as he was kind of in repose, and then um, this um, this very old man in in a in a full um, uh, ladies non uh, sorry nurse outfit. Um, uh, 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 came in, and he was all known to everyone in 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 in, in the community. And it's not what you associate with a, a um, with a small conservative kind of traditional town, but every kind of kind of um, accepted him. And I'm not saying that there was anything kind of um, um, uh, sinister about about him. There wasn't, um, but it, but it, it was it was this very odd kind of incongruous incongruous thing where all of these kind of People shake my hand, and then there's this. Because um, it was, it would, it, it's, it's probably, it's, uh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the, it's these, it's these things that, um, that, that, that exist, but we kind of pretend, I guess, like Ray Wise is saying, we, 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 we I think we, we, we sort of trick ourselves into thinking that the world is all kind of um, normal simple and, and simple mm-hmm. and logical and rational. Yeah, and, yeah, and wholesome and yeah. Yeah, and underneath it, it's really not. I think the return came out at the perfect time because I think now everyone's realizing that, <laughs> that there's something it's becoming a mass thing. Yeah. yeah, 
that there's something sort of unsettling beneath. Well, we're about to move on to talk about Firewalk with me. Richard, you're welcome to stay with us uh, if you want, but you probably have somewhere else to be. I actually don't, so I will stay. Thanks, thanks, Richard. And the horrible question's been answered. I can't be asked it again. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Niall now has to sweat for the next. But he has an hour to think about it. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's a bit Would unfair. Anyone like some coffee? Yes, um, and we also have the the uh, Camarino Bakery have provided a some oh, cherry pies. pies. Oh, we have oh, cherry pies here, and we've got knives and forks. We also have brownies um, and and all sorts of stuff. They've been really really amazing. Um, they really really have. Um, so if you, Andrew wants to portion them out to people, actually, while we're sort of just getting set up. Yeah, yeah, you, you guys, you guys can can ch chat away amongst yourselves. I, yeah, I can, Andrew will. I, I, I can go get something. You'll have a slice. Yes, please. Perfect. Oh. Um, I do like. There's a wonderful. This is like the end of um, in our time with Melvin <laughs> Bragg, but it will happen kind of m maybe like ten or twelve times. Um, yeah, but. Um, Yes, yeah, so just uh, in terms of this. Oh, by the way, Comic Lockin apparently tweeted out the link, which is phenomenal. no way. Um, yeah, so no oh, pressure. Really? No pressure. He's everybody. very sound for like he, Twitter following yeah. me on Twitter. He's actually really good. He's really lovely. Kyle, um, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> if we're some reason this exact moment, <laughs> you're, you're Kyle, if you're listening, listening there's Kyle. 17 more hours. <laughs> yeah. Get on over. Uh, if yep, you can fly over. We have. <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> the Mitchum brothers will probably then do the jet. Um, <laughs> but we do have some really good. Uh, we got some cherry pie here, but we also have lots of baked goods as well. Lots of different brownies. So help yourselves, please. I realize that this sounds like I'm talking to listeners. Also help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, treat yourself. Also, ASMR. drop by, have some pie. Yeah. Um.